Hey, good morning. It's Pastor Rob. It's great to see you today. Hey, I just want to apologize for those of you who tried to tune in last week or wanted to tune in online last week. We had such a list of technical problems. I just I just don't even want to get into it. And um, I'm very sorry that we were not able to be here online to be present with you, to gather with you, to encourage you. Uh, but we are here this week, and I thank you so much for your patience, for your perseverance, for your willingness to to join in and to stick with us, uh, even when things don't go as planned. That means a lot. Thank you. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of our series, or actually the second week of our series called Together. And it's really about us understanding that, that we are better together. As the body of Christ, we are better working toward our pursuit of God hand in hand, arm in arm, than we are trying to run the race by ourselves. Last week, we, we talked about um, the greater conviction of unity, right? The greater conviction of unity and setting aside maybe our own personal perspectives and on certain things. And Paul admonished those who were strong in their faith and said, look, if you're strong in your faith, you need to carry those who are weak, those being those who are weak being those that were holding on to some convictions that they really didn't need to from a biblical perspective or from God's perspective, but their conscience was holding them to them. Their conscience was saying, no, 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 for me, this is not a good thing. The alcohol was one of the examples we, we used a couple of weeks ago. For me, alcohol is not a good thing, so I don't drink, right? But, but inherently, it's biblically inherently alcohol in and of itself is not evil. And so it's okay to see it as that, as not evil, but it's, it's not okay to chastise someone who does if their conviction, their personal conviction is that is, that is something they need to adhere to, that's okay. And my job is not to chastise somebody. My job is to support them in that to try to help them. If they're pursuing God with all they've got and they're doing what they believe God wants me to do, I need to be cheering them on and not berating them for it or doing something in front of them that could cause them to stumble. We talked about uh, an old brethren axiom, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty, but in all things charity, right? The notion that we have to see each other as children of God that we have to recognize the heart, the things of the heart. We talked about 1 Samuel 16, 7, the things of the heart rather than uh, maybe how something is done or how somebody perceives something. The why is more important. What is the source? What is the goal? This week, we're going to continue that discussion with unity. We were in Romans chapter 14 last week. This week, we're going to jump into chapter 15. And, and Paul is trying to help them understand something pretty critical here. He's trying to under, help them understand that in the midst of the turmoil they're in, both in the world around them, and in this case, in the book of Rome, in Romans, with each other, right? That this unity that he's calling them to, this togetherness that he's calling them to, is actually probably way more important than they would ever begin to realize. It was critical to their life. It was critical to their witness. And, and to, to set that aside for the sake of their own pursuits or to set that aside for the sake of being right 
as opposed to righteous, right? Misses the point and actually destroys their capacity to fully be the body of Christ moving with him. I think sometimes it's one of those things that you don't know what you have till it's gone, right? Or till there's a threat of it being gone. Some of you have heard the story of how Heather and I got engaged. We got engaged really in the midst of an argument. Uh, We had been taking a break from one another. We hadn't been near each other in a couple of weeks. She had been on a vacation and, and she came back from the vacation and knocked on my door at my apartment and and I let her in and, and she just wanted to know what was going on, right? Are we together? Are we not together, right? And so I started working through those things and so did she and we were talking it through and we talked about seeing other people. We talked about should we split up? We talked about all these different things and they were not pleasant conversations. <laughs> there was a lot of passion behind both perspectives and all of it when really all of us, both of us were just trying to find resolution to all of it, right? And in the midst of that discussion, in the midst of that passion, it's something clicked. I know it sounds crazy, but it makes sense to me. Something clicked. And I just said to her, you know what? We should just get married. Looking back, 22 years later, looking back, I really do think that was the moment, the moment when I realized how important Heather is to me. I don't think until that I realized the role that she was playing in my life and that I desired to play in hers, right? That uh, the, the, the idea that the first germination of, of the idea that God had put us together kind of started to occur there. I wouldn't say it was fully formed at all because I didn't really know God later. Again, I'm, I'm seeing this in retrospect and going, oh, now I get it. But the truth is, I hadn't recognized it till then. It's value, it's importance. And the truth is, it is us as a team and our relationship that has carried us on the path that God wants us on. The truth is, I don't think we could, either one of us individually would be where we are right now, good or bad, right? If, it, if we weren't together. And, and that connection, that unity, is so important to each of us and both of us together. And it's that kind of unity that Paul is describing here and that he's hoping his the people of God in Rome will understand. That they will understand that this this they have something very very special. And that they are throwing it away really in petty arguments in people trying to get what they want over trying to help others pursue what God wants. And they don't recognize the sheer value of that connection, of that unity. So let's let's go. We're going to go to Romans chapter 15. We're going to do verses 1 through 6 today. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. He says this. He says, Now, we who are strong, remember the strong from last week, are obligated to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and to not please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ does not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. 
For whoever, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. You know, oftentimes this idea of unity begins to feel, you know, like like giving up part of who we are in order to get along, right? We feel like we're giving something up. But unity is more than just getting along with people. It's more than just keeping the peace. Don't keep in mind, peacemaking is part of it, but it's far more than that. There's a, a, a phrase I use often when I'm deciding, or, and it runs through my mind, and, and I've said it out loud many times, and I'm, I'm asking myself, if I'm about to engage in a discussion, if I'm about to hand off my opinion, or I'm about to take a stand on something, um, I ask myself openly and honestly, is this a hill I'm willing to die on? Right? Is this a hill I'm willing to sacrifice for? Is, this some, is it really of that much value? that I'm willing to take a stand here and now, whether it be physically or vocally or emotionally, that I'm gonna say, this is it, and this is what I'm doing, and this is where I'm headed, and I think it matters, right? Now, I was looking up the history of that phrase, is it a hill worth dying on? And the truth is we can't dial it in to where it came from, at least not according to the sources I could find. But the most recent kind of allusion to it was in reference to the um, Hamburger Hill. It's a name given to Hill Number 937, as the uh, Army called it at the time, in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Hill 937 was a uh, a hill that uh, the Major General in command of that of that front decided that he wanted to take. Uh, and he, and I'm sure he had his his reasons for wanting to take it, but he wanted to take that hill. And so they, they, the United States Army mounted a frontal assault on that hill. We, we, we brought in air corps, we dropped airborne units, we ran up that hill. Day after day, we, we worked to take that hill. And the truth is we did, we did, we took that hill. But in the course of that, 70 men were killed and over 400 were injured. And, and that's what led, led senators later to call it Hamburger Hill, the idea that the men were ground up as they were trying to get up that hill to claim it, to capture it. Shortly after uh, they took that hill, the commander of the front changed to a Gen- Major General John M. Wright became the commander in that, in that area. And he's quoted as saying that that, that hill, Hill 937, had no military value whatsoever. He was asking himself, why did we do that? Was it worth it? Because the truth is, within days of capturing it, we abandoned it, we left it. Now, hills, and and, and when it comes to, to battle, hills are important, right? The high ground is important. It gives you a strategic advantage over, over the enemy an opportunity to see what they're doing with, and them having an inability to reach you easily, right? So Hill's high ground has an advantage, but the truth is not every high ground has an advantage. There are 
There are some fights, some hills that are not worth fighting over, certainly not worth the loss of 70 men, right? Certainly not worth hundreds more being injured. And they would have been better served to save that, to save those men, to save those resources, to save all of those things, to focus on fighting for a hill that did have strategic value. And unfortunately, the decisions of those major generals impacted the lives of so many others. Again, I'm, I'm not sure for sure. I'm not here to berate someone's military choice. I'm far from a major general. But it, it seems, at least from the outside, that you know maybe someone's personal desire to win something overtook the facts. Right? They took precedence over the facts. They took precedence over the needs. Right? Do we need to take this hill in order to strategically move us forward in our goal? Right? And, and ultimately, over reason. And, and emotions can do that. Right? Especially when we're trying to please ourselves. When we're trying to get what we want. As Paul says in our text, right? he says... you. You're not supposed to please yourself. That's not your goal. And in, in their case, in the book of Rome, in this context, that's what it is. It's two groups of people, each wanting things done a certain way. And each of them willing to die on that hill. Willing to go up that hill, climb it, push up it, push up it frontal assault it. They don't care who they take out along the way. They both want to get to the top of that hill and capture that hill. They want it done their way. When at the end of the day, conquering that hill probably doesn't matter in the grander scheme of things. Paul's trying to remind them that the, the grander hill, the more important hill, the bigger hill is the hill of unity. Is moving together toward the pursuit that God has for them. And not shedding their blood, trying to get something that at the end of the day is not relevant. It doesn't really matter. It is a matter of personal preference. It is a matter of personal opinion. It is a matter of all kinds of disputable things, things that really there is no right or wrong on. There's only like or dislike, want or don't want, prefer or don't prefer. He's saying don't waste it, right? He's saying that, that putting others' needs first, you know, it's not about giving in to others. It's not about letting them win a fight. What it is, is it's about giving over our hearts to God. It's about letting Him win the fight. Because when we set aside our own personal desires and our own personal wills and ask ourselves, what is God's desire? What is God's will for this? How are we supposed to go? Which direction are we supposed to take, right? It, it recognizes that we are all in need of him. My wife and I were discussing uh, this sermon this week and she was telling me a story out of one of her Wednesday night Bible studies. Um, about uh, equating the body of Christ, others around you that are also Christians walking alongside you as spotters in a gym. You know, the, the, when you're in the gym lifting free weights, if you're doing a free weight bench press, it's wise 
not just suggested. It's wise to have a spotter, to have somebody there who's going to help you lift that weight off your chest when you can't lift it anymore. And a, a body of Christ unified is us spotting one another as we lift this load of trying to get through this life, of trying to walk as God would have us walk, of trying to pursue him even in the midst of all the weights pushing down and pushing back at us. It's, it's recognizing that we all need that. We all require that if we're going to make it. But if, if I'm your spotter and I'm interested only in pleasing myself, right, then I'm far less concerned with whether or not I'm doing my job spotting you and far more concerned with, are you spotting me? I'm also probably far less attentive to what you need and far more attentive to getting what I need. I'm thinking about my next rotation, right? What I'm going to do next. I'm thinking about what I can get from you rather than what I can give you. I'm thinking about somebody else across the way and what I'm going to do tomorrow night and where I'm going to go to dinner or what else I've got on my planning list instead of really paying attention to what you need. And, and the problem with that is I'm going to let you down. And you probably don't want me as your spotter, right? <laughs> if I'm only interested in pleasing myself instead of watching out for you. But putting others' needs first recognizes that we all need not only to have a good spotter, but to be a good spotter. It recognizes that God's hills are the ones worth climbing and not that are not our own. It's not about giving up something, right, or letting people win a fight. It's about recognizing some things are worth fighting for and some things are not. It's about understanding that human beings have a very limited capacity to hear the voice of others. You know, you wonder why, as a, as a parent, your kids don't listen to you. Because my kids don't sometimes, right? They don't listen to me. I'll tell them something over and over and over again, and they won't listen to me, and then they'll come home from school and go, so-and-so said blank. I think I'm going to do blank, and I'm going, I've been telling you that for years, right? It's because at some point, they stop tuning out my voice. Because I've said enough, I've offered enough. And that's kind of unavoidable as a parent, you know. There's so many things you want for your children to work on and you're around them all the time and you are the primary counselors in their life. But, you know, the truth is in our adult relationships, I don't think we always monitor the amount of input we give others. Um, we would be better off sometimes, I think, being someone a few words. In fact, our, our text last week said, if you've got a problem with some things that are not of God, that are just matters of opinion or just matters of perspective, you need to keep it between you and God. He was pretty blunt about that. And I really think that's because if we talk too much or get too passionate about things that really aren't of God, if we allow ourselves to get off track, and let those things divide us. Then when we need to talk about the things that really should divide us, right? Or the things that really matter in helping one another be built up and moving towards God, we aren't able to hear each other because we sound a bit like a clanging gong rather than speaking out of love.
there's a, a, a level of connectivity here that, that this unity that Paul is calling them to, he's calling them to be unified as a, as a body, right? It's a phrase Paul uses in Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and even in, in, in Romans where he talks about the body of Christ being a body of believers. That word intrigues me that they choose that word, a body um, he could have said just said an assembly. He could have just said a group. He could have just said a congregation, right? Uh, but he says a body. And a body's an interesting thing, right? The, the hand of the body is inextricably connected to the eye, right? It's connected by blood vessels. It's connected by nerves. It's, it's inextricably connected. It's, it is one piece that operates at its best when it's all connected to itself and connected well. What happens in the heart affects what happens in the hands, right? If someone takes a risk, if I take a risk with my hand and my hand gets cut off, it's going to affect every system in my body. Trust me, I have a high propensity for trying to cut things <laughs> as I'm playing with power tools and the last one was just a kitchen knife, which I've handled millions of times in my life but you know i have a propensity for these things and i'm here to tell you the pieces of my skin that are no longer attached to my body no longer function the way they should because the body is meant to function as a unit it is a thing of beauty that god has put together here even with all its faults and all of its difficulties just just the writing, the structure of DNA, the way that the various systems interact with one another and, and take care of each other, literally speaking, right? They take care of each other. They hold each other up. They manage each other. They watch each other. They're in it together. It's like every system in your body recognizes that it needs the other systems in order to be what it's intended to be, in order to function properly. It's a, it's a level of interconnectedness that... that I don't know that can be equaled, right? So it's it's interesting to me that Jesus calls his people the body of Christ, right? The body of Christ. Paul goes so far in 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about, you know, what you choose to do with your body. In some ways, you're choosing to do with Christ's body because he gave his life, right? Our verse three in our text today says, for even Christ did not please himself. On the, contra on the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen upon me. Christ giving himself, taking on my burdens and your burden burdens, making us part of his body is what saves us from sin and death. It's that connectedness to God that saves us right? That connectedness to him that we are depending on. But the truth is, we, if we are really a body, there are more parts involved than just me. My connectedness is critical to me, but, but so is somebody else's connectedness critical to them. And the hard part for us to understand is their connectedness is also critical to me. Learning to see the different parts of the body as that, as equal in value, I think is one of the hardest things that we have to do as members of the body of Christ because what it requires us to do is to set aside, in some cases, our feelings. It's to set aside what we want for the sake of what others need. It's to set aside what we like 
for the sake of what builds others up. And the truth is, we are so blessed that Jesus chose to do that for us. And shouldn't we make the effort to do the same for others if we are really his people, right? Being a body, being one, requires a level of connectedness for it to function properly, a level of unity that is really unprecedented in any other form in the world. That means not fighting over disputable matters and fighting for the ones that matter, that could harm the body, right? It means recognizing that we are not able to stand alone, but that we actually physically need each other. We don't just get along with each other. We need each other to be involved in each other's lives if we are going to function as we should. Unity is more than a platitude. That's our last point. It's more than a platitude. It's the very source of life. Paul says it this way in verse 5 of our text today. He says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, right, strength, grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Do you hear that? One mind in one voice. It's, it's This kind of unity is critical to each of us. It's critical to all of us. And it's critical to the world around us. Unity demonstrates for the world the humility of Christ because you know what? We are all selfish creatures, lock, stock, and barrel. We all want what we want. We all like what we like. And we have a lot of difficulty understanding how anybody could like something else that we don't like. You know, there's a, a rock band from the late 60s called the Rolling Stones that I grew up listening to along with other bands. Um, I don't like the Rolling Stones. Don't like them. Personal preference, 100% personal preference. Um, but I do recognize that they had a profound impact on rock and roll. And I like rock and roll. So I, I recognize their, their, their impact. I recognize their value to a genre of music that I love. I just don't like their music. But that's really hard for some people to grasp. How could you not like the Rolling Stones? I don't. I could take or leave the Beatles too. Doesn't mean I don't recognize their value. But it does mean that it's, it's not my personal preference. I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to it. But if listening to the Beatles built your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't know how that would work, right? I would do it. If listening to the Rolling Stones, honestly, as much as I don't like them, if it would build your faith in Christ and the unity of the body, I would do it. Because I hope you would do it for me if it's something I needed. Because Christ was humble enough to die on a cross. Because we needed it. This, this unity, it's, it's, it's it, uh, being of one voice, right? It demonstrates the love of Christ to the world who loved us enough to give his life, to make us one with him, to make us part of his body. It demonstrates the focus of Christ, right? 
it recognizes if we're able to be unified even though we disagree about some things, but if we're willing to recognize in humility that some of the things we disagree about really are just matters of opinion rather than dis indisputable things, things that are true and holy and eternal, right? It demonstrates that we understand that the enemy is not each other. People are not the enemy. Sin is. Satan is. And aren't there plenty of forces in this world trying to divide us as the body of Christ? That we should consider whether or not we are dividing ourselves. We don't need to add on to it. Again, there are hills that are worth dying on, right? Like Calvary. Jesus decided himself that it was worth dying on for the sake of those who were lost. For the sake of those who summarily were at odds with God. Keep that in mind. Our default position is to be at odds with God. In fact, while we were still in our sin, he loved us anyway, right? Romans 3. Even though our natural bent is to disagree with him, and in some cases to disagree with each other, Jesus laid down his life to cross that bridge. And what he desires from us is to be unified in helping others to find him, to make sure his sacrifice wasn't in vain, to shine a light from the hill that he has told us to climb together and to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of strength, and a beacon of endurance, united in Christ. God bless. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and give you peace.